You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. Charles Bukowski, the transgressive author, famously said, I think I need a drink. Almost everybody does, only they don't know it. I have 25 years of experience traveling the world, finding great bottles, and my own adventures. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. Deborah Davy is a singer, songwriter, and she continues to gain national acclaim as one of the most remarkable rock guitarists on the East Coast. She's a celebrated author. Her book, The Language of the Blues, is a must-read for anyone who loves the blues. Her new EP, Wild Little Girl, is just out and tearing it up. I'm so happy to have Deborah Davy here on my podcast today. She's an amazing musician, journalist, read a book, travels the country, and uh, just blessed uh, for her to be here. Thanks. Thanks, Deborah. I'm happy to be here. This guitar sounds nice. Wow. I know. Also, yeah. <laughs> uh, Deborah great. just picked up the guitar that was in the office, and yeah. uh, I said, by all means, please uh, play us into this uh, happy space that we're in. Um, so let's let's talk about the business, and uh, you're uh, one of the few female guitarists. I mean, there's not a lot. There are uh, some legends, of course. Yeah, you know, it's kind of exciting to see how many new female guitarists are starting to emerge all of a sudden. But my story is that, um, you know, I became fascinated with electric guitar when I was just maybe 13 or 14. And I would sing the guitar solos to songs instead right. of the lyrics. And I, I finally got my nerve up to ask my mom if I could get an electric guitar. And she said, no. Wow. And I said, why? She's like, that would be unladylike and just too loud. Right. <laughs> you know? So that was really the thing for, for women. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I didn't start playing until I was a senior in college. Wow. Um, and actually felt very kind of frustrated. Meanwhile, my brother started playing drums at like age 11 and that right. was okay. It is funny because I think young girls aren't socialized to play the electric guitar or, or be a guitarist and um, it's been so male dominated. It really has. And mm. this whole idea of, of being too, because I remember when my mother said that's unladylike. I said, mom, that's sexist. And she's like, it would just be too loud. So, But your brother's beating away on some drums, of course. Had a drum set in his bedroom, literally. Right. Um, and would come home and like play Rush like for an hour. So oh, funny. nice! He's a, really, he's a great drummer, actually. Right. Um, yeah. So the message that you shouldn't be loud, and you shouldn't you shouldn't be loud, you shouldn't be too smart, you shouldn't you know be too outspoken. And um, actually, that's why I titled my new EP "Wild Little Girl." I gotta say, I love the title. Yeah. It's uh, it evokes so many 
incredible images and just uh, a rawness of just who, uh, you know, little yeah. girls are just as great as little boys. Yeah. And there's an energy that, uh, like as you were saying, kind of socially gets repressed, I think. Well, it's, it's very true. And mm-hmm. even academically, there are studies that have shown that as girls move into puberty, they raise their hands less in class. Their math and science grades and skills really slip. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they're not capable, because they're being socialized that that's not okay for their gender. Mm. And it's really an issue. So um, I wanted to celebrate that wild energy that girls have that, you know, we can end up squashing ourselves um, in order to try to be acceptable. And man, I have to tell everyone, you have to listen to her uh, LP. It is some of the most amazing guitar solos, scorching solos and some of those beautiful lyrics uh, that I've been listening to over and over. And um, as usual, when you listen to music, I think it's the same with wine. Uh, if you taste something that you're not familiar with, you want to compare it to something that you know. Sure. And I think for you uh, and a lot of artists, uh, you listen to your album and people say, oh, kind of like Sheryl Crow or Katie Tunstall. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, but the more you listen to it, you realize what an incredible, just a unique voice. And uh, oh, your thanks. guitar solos, are, like I said, are just uh, wild. But yeah, the, thanks. Yeah, yeah. The the rock genre has been so dominated. That territory has been so staked out by men. It has, uh, that, and I think it's yeah. time for a change. I mean, one of the funniest descriptions I heard recently of my music was Cheryl Crow meets Government Mule, and <laughs> I thought that's it. Yeah, <laughs> because I love Government Mule. Right. I, I became a fan of theirs really just a couple of years ago, right. and um, when I saw them, I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of what we're trying to do like take a song and expand out to these solos and and there just aren't that many women who are um singing leading the band as a vocalist and also a lead guitar player i mean you have bonnie Raitt, right and i mean certainly there's some great women doing that so um, were you like a big joan jett fan were you a big heart fan oh i loved heart right. and joan jett my you know the person who inspired me to finally get an electric guitar though was bonnie Raitt. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a senior in college and kind of frustrated, and it was my last semester. And, and some, where were you in college? Uh, Madison, Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, okay. And some girlfriends and I went to see Bonnie, and when she came out with this like Stratocaster, I actually stood up and just started shrieking my head off, and my <laughs> friends were trying to get me to sit down and be quiet. And I just, something inside me just broke open. And I literally went to a pawn shop the next day and got a guitar, and then I moved to New York City not long after. Skipping Chicago? Which is kind of, I mean, Chicago's right there, and that's a great, as you know, I don't have to tell you, great music center. Um, Well, why New York? um, Well, I was sort of, (laughs) it's a very simple story. I was kind of desperate to go somewhere, and I decided to go to grad school in journalism, and I sort of naively asked my professor um, which grad school is the best. He said either Medill at Northwestern in Mm -hmm. Chicago or Columbia in Manhattan. And I just applied to Columbia, just wow. incredibly risky and stupid. But mm. I was I was really I was like twenty, barely, you know. Right. And um, to my some miracle, I got in, and so that was it. I just moved to New York, and I immediately started going to auditions and making a fool out of myself because I could barely play guitar. But by some miracle, I got in a band. Huh. What was the name playing. of the band? Oh, that band was called La Di Da. Huh. Never <laughs> ever heard of them, but yeah. Right. That's a good name. But I learned a lot. Yeah. It was great. So you you taught yourself guitar. I did. Yeah, I'm self-taught. I, and I'm I'm telling everyone listening, it, it 
blows me away when I hear uh, uh, your guitar playing. It's uh, the, just the, the instrumental solos are just wild. So how Thanks, long did it take you to, to get say. to that point? Because um, you're using a slide, and you uh, yeah. at least when I can hear, it's just... Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, it came pretty naturally to me. Um, you know, I play by ear, although now I'm actually going back and I'm, I'm making an effort to learn, mm-hmm. which has been really fun and rewarding. Right. Um, so I'm learning some music theory and stuff like that, just so I can be less of an idiot when I talk to my musicians because they're all better than I am. And I want to be able to talk to them in a clearer way when I am asking for something. Right. Um, no, I kind of started to find my way on the guitar by just playing along to loops that I would make and just finding mm. notes that worked. Um, and I started recording with some different musicians and artists. And I was told pretty early that I seemed to have some kind of a good melodic sense mm. and, a, and a voice of my own. And just it's, kind it's, of you have to have some kind of, I think, gift to be able to listen to music and then play it. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter Mia, when mm-hmm. she was five years old, uh, um, she wanted to play a piano, so I got her a little piano. She unwraps it, she's banging, she's screaming and crying, and I said, "What's wrong?" She goes, "I want to play Mary Had a Little Lamb." Aww. And I said, "Well, you know, it takes lots of practice, and you have to be able to, you know, you, some people go to school for a long time, and you yeah. take lessons." And within an hour, she was playing Mary Had a Little Lamb. Oh, that's great! On the piano, I think she was four or five. Wow! And so I know that. Maybe yeah. everybody has it, and they're mm-hmm. just they're slightly tuned different than we are. Mm. But she had that uh, gift from the time she was born, yeah. and I have other friends like that, and it's a gift. Uh, yeah, I think I think everyone is capable of playing music and singing. Um, and uh, unfortunately, in our culture, we have kind of a star culture. Right. I was fascinated by a friend of mine who came back from Bali, and she said, you know, in their language, they don't have the word for star because when they do their um, festivals and ceremonies everyone participates everyone makes up a, some this person decides they're going to make the costumes this person's going to design right. the dance this person's come we're doing the music and there's no you know celebrity star system um which you know we kind of have here that yeah. intimidates people well, everything's a competition in in this country even the wine you know i'm in the wine business and I can sell, and not so much anymore, but I could sell a 1,000 cases of wine in two days if some wine gets a 99-point score, a 100-point hmm. score. It becomes this competition. And uh, you know, we're great as a country of turning everything into a competition. And then we yeah. then convince everybody that we have to seek out the best. Exactly. And I think what freed me up about moving to New York City to become a musician was that I didn't know anybody here when I moved here. I didn't know a single person. And I wanted to make some friends and I thought well I was starting to make friends in Madison before I left by going to jams so I'm like I would look in the village voice for these public notice music ads and I started going to auditions and my attitude my motto was dare to suck (laughs) that's a great t-shirt yeah I should it would be um and I just decided like I'm gonna fall on my face nobody knows me anyway right and I really did make a total fool of myself Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of times but I, it's like how I learned and how I freed myself up to, to try. Well, and that's you know, that's courage, though. I guess a lot courage of people aren't gonna, yeah. youthful tomfoolery. I don't right. know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was really and and only in New, New York City was just very a magical place for me like that because I did begin to find amazing people to play with right. and I did begin to work with some great producers and get in studios and I wanted up touring a lot. What were some of the clubs you played in New York? 
Oh, I played CBGB's a lot. Wow. Um, wow. You know, of course, I played Arlene's Grocery and Arlene's Barry Electric and all so those I was in places. I was in Newark Airport recently traveling, mm-hmm. and uh, there's actually a CBGB's cafe. I saw it. And they have the white awning. And I have to tell you, I had to take pictures of it, and I was yeah. almost nauseous. <laughs> it yeah, was just the licensing so has bad. been interesting that they've chosen. God, we're such whores. We have to sell everything. We have to franchise everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just uh, so CBGB. So who? If you were, uh, what was like? A, a, some of the people might be on the bill with you when you write CBGB. Jello Biafra oh, wow. from the Dead Can. I mean, we opened for the Dead Kennedys. My, I've wow. been in bands. We opened for the Ramones, stuff like that. Wow. Yeah, it was. I was really young, and it was really, really very fun. So I grew up in Boston, mm-hmm. and on um, radio stations, they wouldn't call them the Dead Kennedys. Oh. Uh, out of respect, they would call them the DKs. Oh yeah. Uh, that's that's boy. That's pretty reverential. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah. you get to hang out with Joey Ramone? Yeah. Actually, what? you know, it's funny. I Joey and I hung out one time backstage at a Bonnie Raitt show. She was in New York. Wow. And I had met her road manager. And I said to him, oh, you know, she is the reason I picked up the electric guitar. And he's like, oh, you've got to come backstage and tell her that. She would love to hear that. So I was, like, very thrilled because I love her. And I ended up backstage and then hanging out backstage. And Joey right. was there. And I realized how much he loved all different kinds of music. Right. We ended up hang- he and I just hung out and talked for gosh a couple hours about right. all kinds of music, and he was really a a he had very wide ears. You right. know, it was, it was neat a neat yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, well, they are now legends, right? And yeah, uh, it's pretty crazy. And Bonnie Raitt is, I think Bonnie Raitt is in your book as well. Well, she, um, I, you know, I was lucky to get to interview her a few years later, and she was really generous with her time and great. And then when I wrote my book, The Language of the Blues, um, I contacted her manager, who also has right. always been very nice to me and supportive. And uh, they were like, yeah, send it over, and maybe, you know, if she likes it, she'll do a blurb. And so I have a wonderful blurb from, from Bonnie on the back of the book, and that, that makes yeah. me very happy. She's, a, she's very... She's done a lot of work to support blues and rhythm and blues artists. Right. You know, um, just she's, she's amazing and how long she toiled before she was, you know, we say discovered or became a yeah. um, celebrity. I was uh, in a jazz club, uh, I think it was Smalls last week, and I was watching this uh, gentleman set up, and he was probably 70 years old, and it was kind of an obscure uh, little jazz trio. And I was watching him just tune his instrument, sitting there, just with the upright bass between his legs, and and and, th- and I just thought discipline and patience. This guy has been doing this forever. He's seventy plus years old, and every couple of weeks he's probably on the road, and he just sits with this anonymity, but plays this incredible music for us. And I'm mm. like, that's the definition of discipline and patience. I love, love of his craft, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean. If you love what you do, then it doesn't matter that much if you become hugely famous with it or right. not. And certainly we have seen this week this very heart-wrenching, heartbreaking suicides of two very famous, very successful right. people. So happiness is an inside job. Like, that's, you know, that's well really very right. important to know that. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. um, in, in those instances and, and even making a comparison to this uh, gentleman who's playing the upright bass at the jazz club, you do what you love. Mm-hmm. Um, you have your own voice, and you just keep moving forward. And I think in those two cases, uh, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, same thing. Um, original voices, and we're just doing what they loved. And yeah, 
Yeah, I'm very sad, very sad to lose them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, if you're going to listen to jazz or blues, do you have a... Do I have a yeah, personal favorite? Yeah. Oh, it depends on the jazz and the blues. Right, I love uh, Thelonious Monk. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's true. But yeah, yeah, I you know, blues, uh, even though I'm not, I'm definitely not a blues musician, but I was very influenced by the blues. Mm. And the first live concerts I saw growing up were blues artists coming from Chicago to Milwaukee. Right. Um, so, you know, I had a friend who snuck me into a show he had booked, which was, uh, Coco Taylor with Sun Seals on guitar. Oh, wow. And I was just flattened. I mean, I'd never, never heard anything like it and was completely propelled out of my seat onto the dance floor and just flipped out and had a great time and met my first boyfriend who turned out to be a blues fanatic. And we would go to shows in cornfields between Milwaukee and Chicago. There were just like generators and, you know, BB King would be playing or John Lee Hooker. So I was super young, er, lucky at a young age to be exposed to that. Right. You can't put a price on that stuff. Chicago blues scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen B.B. King play with my wife, and my daughter was in utero. And I thought, that's a, hey, maybe that's where she got the music <laughs> thing. Uh, but it was such an amazing concert. And he's a, another one. He just lived forever just mm-hmm. uh, um, because he loved what he was doing. And when you went to see his show, you felt he loved what he was doing. Oh, sure. Um, it was a... And he's one of those guitar players, you know, where you you hear one or two notes, and you know it's B.B. King. Right. I hope people maybe will hear one or two notes and know it's me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because um, you just want to. There's a funny story in my book, actually. I, I interviewed Jimmy Vaughn, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughn's brother, who is also an amazing artist mm-hmm. and musician. And Jimmy told a funny story that he, you know, when he started playing, he learned all B.B. King's licks mm-hmm. and all, you know, and then he realized, wow, what if one day I'm asked to sit in with B.B. King? What am I going to play? <laughs> you know, he's like, I right. got to figure something else out. Right. You know, so that he said that's when he came up with his sound and ah. his, you know, style of playing. Yeah, Every, I mean, that's what you're up against, right? You do have to fight for your uniqueness. Otherwise, yeah. um, a friend of mine produces music in L.A. And he said that the people who are successful, um, she said, he said half the time it's just because they just never quit. He said, I see insanely talented people who just don't make it because they just don't have that drive, mm-hmm. that you know, unrelenting desire to just continue to push forward. Mm. Um, and uh, we can see it, right? I mean, people toil forever and then... Uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, I think as a musician, you know, you can either imitate or you can be original. Mm-hmm. Um, find, and, you know, for me, it's a lifelong journey of finding my voice and getting to know myself. Mm-hmm. And I find that rewarding, regardless of what gigs I get or what press I get. Sometimes I get great press and great gigs. Sometimes I don't. It doesn't really affect the journey. Right. You know? And because this is something you're just going to do forever now. I guess. That's your love, <laughs> right? Um, so you, when you travel, you, uh, you, you carry a little uh, talisman with you, your little... Uh, Mojo um, bag or I do have yeah. a mojo bag in my guitar case that um, my good friend Lisa Swarbrick gave me. Uh, she, it's funny how this government mule thing kind of has come into my life. She she was married to Warren Haynes' guitar tech Brian Farmer, who was a much beloved guy mm-hmm. in the mule scene, and um, she had stumbled across my book a couple of years ago and had given it to Warren for his birthday before we ever met. And then she kind of tracked me down on Facebook, and she moved recently back to mm. New Jersey from Toronto. Right. We've become great friends. 
And uh, then she took me to meet Warren, and I gave him the new edition for his birthday right. last summer, which was nice. But she gave me a little mojo bag that's very special. And then I have something kind of cool that I put in it ah. from my trip to the Delta. Right. Um, I actually got to go to this little church called Little Zion outside of like Greenwood, Mississippi, mm. where Robert Johnson is buried. Right. Oh, and there's wow. a right. big pecan tree above his grave, and it had a lot of pecans on the ground. So so explain to people who don't know who Robert Johnson is. I know he passed at a very young age. He was yeah. insanely gifted. Uh, uh, yes, he's really one of the seminal blues artists, mm. um, and he passed away when he was only 27. Right. Um, but he had what's called an... Um, Echo, echoic, I think it's pronounced, mm. echoic um, memory for music, which is like a photographic memory, right. but for music. Huh. So he, he could be sitting talking like you and I are, and if a song was playing on the phonograph, he could pick up his guitar after the conversation was over and play it note for note. So because of that, this legend came up around him that he had sold his soul to the devil because he had the supernatural ability. Right. Um, he never said that. He never wrote about that, but it kind of became a thing. Um, and he wrote songs that have become standards in blues and rock and roll. Um, you yeah. know, going to the cross down on the crossroads. Um, he's just he kind of created this. Um, how do I put it? Uh, yeah, just the standards kind of for the blues. Yeah, there's, for there's electric a, blues. Right. There's, even though he's an few. acoustic player. Um, I was struck by your book, how well it was researched, um, the language of the blues. And I, there were a couple things that really resonated to me. There's one passage that I'll, I'll badly hack apart here, mm-hmm. but um, just how these slave ships uh, were just vessels of, of misery uh, oh, sure. for people. And the only way to escape it would be to take this, uh, to take their culture and their music with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was just thinking about uh, how music has, it does save people. It, it is their saving grace. But that, that intersection when Africans were becoming uh, Americans, basically, is when it, where the blues kind of started to come out of. And you did a sure. fantastic job writing about it in the book. Thank you. And it just sat, I'm like, wow. That's, I, I really tried in the book to, to write about something that I think is really undervalued, which is the West African contribution to American culture. Mm-hmm. We don't learn about it in school like the way that we learn about the Dutch or the French. Um, I mean, you know, thousands and thousands of people were brought here from the Senegal area, right. from, from these different countries, as the slavers bur- burrowed deeper into West Africa, the Yoruba culture, and had this profound impact on our language, on our music, yeah. still our today. values, Still our today, culture. you listen to, you know, like hip-hop culture, how you, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, an, I'm an old white guy by standard, and... You know, I have guys my age going, damn, man, that's dope. That wine is dope. You know, I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, th- I mean, that's how powerful that culture is, their language. Yeah. Um, and the idea also that you, you put in the book really, really well is like the idea that we have that these slaves lived in caves and had a primitive culture is so false. They had a very, like, they had oh, yeah. hierarchy. And, um, well, they were from very, you know, bustling, busy cities along right. the, the river there where the slavers first began to come in. And, I mean, imagine being taken from your home like that and taken mm. from your city. And the reason that music became a vehicle for their, the survival of their culture and their, their values and ethics was everything else was taken away. I mean, um, 
initially when when people arrived here and were enslaved they a lot of them were still allowed to play drums until the um there were some really heavy duty slave rebellions because right. these a lot of these people that had been captured and sold as slaves were were warriors right. they knew how to use the drums to talk over long distances with each other and strategize and that's exactly what they did and there were some big slave rebellions that were put down and drums were outlawed right they were then um told they couldn't speak their own languages they couldn't practice their religion i mean everything was taken from them um except music right and even that they you know had to sort of transform into an americanized mm-hmm. which is form. The, kind of the blues and mm-hmm. and also that whole kind of uh, idea of the you in the book it's very funny the the uh, is it the it's the black bone from a cat um which is very kind of uh um the, with the religion, it's uh, Sandinista, not not Sandinista. You think uh, about Santeria? Santeria is very kind of like based in that idea. You there's a, a bone or a, something well, that's going to protect you, or oh, yeah. sort of. Right. Yeah, yeah. The thing with Santeria is again yeah. the hiding of their religions underneath um, mm. other forms. So, for example, Santeria is uh, the worship of, of a wide variety of Catholic saints, mm. but. Kind of, it's a lot to explain, but kind of what happened was when people came over here from these West African countries, um, the voodoo religion involved a creator, but then also sort of lesser gods and ancestor gods that you could pray to for specific favors and stuff like that. So when they saw Catholicism with all the saints, they thought, okay, this is kind of similar. So it is Saint Jude, the patron saint of children. Exactly. Uh, yeah, same so stuff. so voodoo got kind of grafted onto Catholicism, and this hybrid Santeria emerged. That's hmm. sort of a really simplistic right. explanation, but um, you know, again, that's kind of how culture, African culture, survived right. in this country. But it had to sort of be disguised. And yeah, and still, like the Delta, which all this great music comes from, is still. It's got probably the highest poverty levels in the country still. Yeah, Mississippi um, is the highest, um, is the poorest region in our nation. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, you have some great uh, things about uh, alcohol rub and mm-hmm. canned heat, which is the alcohol they would drink. Uh, so at that point, I'll pour us a glass of Cabernet <laughs> from <laughs> Sonoma be a lot Coast. Than some alcohol rub. And we'll, we'll talk about what this goes with in a few minutes. But okay, um, the, the, the book is. It's just so well researched that you can't you. stop like reading it, and uh, and it's nice to, uh, that uh, you put all that uh, together. Um, yeah, I got kind of obsessed, and you know, one thing I should um, mention about the book is not only the research, but the fact that I was lucky to speak to a lot of older blues artists, hmm. and I really wanted to get because I'm an artist myself. I wanted to get their take on well, what do these words mean mm-hmm. to you when you were growing up right. in Arkansas? Or Mississippi, what did hoodoo mean? What did mojo mean? Right. Um, and to my surprise, I found that a lot of scholars had never asked these questions of the artists themselves. So any resistance uh, thrown at you because you're a, a white woman asking for the, the Rosetta Stone, the password, into what these really mean? Or I at this to, point, they're just like, mm, yeah, no big deal. This no, I have to say the generosity of the artists that I interviewed mm was profound and i'm so grateful to you know robert jr lockwood who grew up with robert johnson hubert sumlin who was howlin wolf's best friend and right hand man Mm -hmm. and guitar player for decades um little milton campbell 
these men were nothing but generous with their time and energy with me, and I was just so grateful. But you know, that is a West African. That's an African value. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, in the book, I just I talk about the word cool and the concept of cool and where did that come from. Right. And there's a Yoruba phrase itutu, um, you know, which means coolness and is used to describe any piece of art or music or, or passage of drumming that's very connected to divinity. And that's where we get this idea of that's cool or the heat, that player's got soul. Like These right. are African ideas. Right. Um, and in Yoruba culture, the highest mark of someone's character is generosity. Huh. That's considered like the ultimate display of your godliness. Right. So, I, you know, when I would talk to these men who had been raised in the Delta... And we're now in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. They were generous, right. you know, with me. We could probably talk to an hour, about an hour and plus <laughs> of what these guys were up against during the uh, civil rights and growing up in the Depression and all yeah. the, the, the Jim Crow stuff. That's a five-hour conversation. <laughs> For sure. Um, but um, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the music because the music is so uh, awesome. I mean, uh, Butterfly is uh, – um, I, I love that uh, – uh, the song and Thanks. it's uh, um, it very much it's a, it's a woman who wants who who is uh, wants her time with this person she finds very attractive mm-hmm. or wants to be with regardless of the fact that you know he's been with a bunch of other butterflies yeah well she knows uh, he, she knows he's a bad idea right but it's it's kind of a um, the, a liberation of she's decided she knows it's a bad idea but it's going to be fun and amazing and she's wants to do it anyway and and she's kind of emerging into her own butterflyness. Right. watching she's seeing him with these other women that she thinks are more attractive than she is and she's feeling right. kind of shy but she just takes on this persona like no i'm gonna i'm gonna do this i'm gonna have this experience and it'll right. be it'll be okay Which is, that's you know? kind of her id she says i want i want my pleasure and uh at any cost no. yeah and i think kind yeah. of connecting to her own wildness you know which we all should be doing Mm-hmm. Right, I mean that's the whole thing is kind of let the shackles off. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean the, it's just uh, full of uh, great <laughs> songs. I love the um, uh, "Tired of Waiting" uh, mm-hmm. that song as well uh, about this woman's frustration of tired of waiting <laughs> for the right thing to come along or her the sexual frustration of it. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I think men have written a lot about sexual frustration in rock and roll. And I thought it was it's fun to write a song from a woman's perspective about sexual frustration. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I there's yeah. one line that says, uh, um, uh, uh, "I'm t- tired of my own hands," mm-hmm. which as a as a adolescent boy, very much remember thinking that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, <laughs> and I went to a, a Catholic school where actually the priest told us, um, "If you have the desire, wrap the rosaries around your hands oh, wow. tight, so that you can't pleasure yourself." <laughs> and uh, Wow. And actually, the priests were wrong. Yeah. Uh, it actually worked better. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but no, it's such a, a great That's song. Funny. And then um, the, there's the, um, the song with um, uh, the woman uh, who dies early from cancer, uh, the, your, a friend of yours. Um, oh, Stay. Stay. Yeah. Which is, uh, it's so, uh, it, the, if it's a, such a powerful song, but the, it still moves. It's such a great flow and beat. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's a disco beat. I yeah, remember being right. scared yeah. to tell my yeah. ask my my drummer is sort of like the in, incarnation of John Bonham and Ginger Baker. Wow. And you um, much younger, but like he's right. he, that's how he plays. And yeah. I, I remember being very. I knew I wanted a disco beat for this song, and I remember being terrified to tell him. And 
you know, when I finally, when I did, he was like, yeah, that'd be perfect. Um, and he played a great disco beat from the like seventies influenced disco beat. Yeah. Stay, um, you know, it's, it was inspired by a man I met whose wife had passed away from ovarian cancer mm. at only 39 Oof, and yeah. they were madly in love. They'd been married for, I believe over 10 years. And she was this vibrant, beautiful artist and just really tragic. And when I met him, you know, he was definitely struggling with grief and with the thought even of moving on to another woman just seemed like so difficult to mm. him for him. And I just was inspired by his story to, to write Stay. Uh, it's such great music. Mm-hmm. And the 10, is it 10 Miles to Clarksdale? 10 Miles to Clarksdale. Um, there's a solo in there that's gut-wrenching that almost feels like it should be in that song. Oh, okay. Uh, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. And everyone will solo. know what... Uh, we're talking about because you have to have to find this music and uh, you'll be happy as all hell. Um, but the <laughs> guitar solo, I mean, throughout um, the LP, I still want to say albums. Uh, yeah. I still listen to albums. Um, throughout it, the guitar solos are incredible. I mean, they're really moving. So Very 70s, kind of like where the guy would do the face melt uh, solo <laughs> at the front of the stage. And there's, there's, a, there's a lot of it in it that's just, just incredible to listen to. Thanks, John. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm really glad to hear that. I, I love playing guitar, and for me, it's just such a great way to express myself non-verbally, mm-hmm. and just, it's the most fun I've ever had, is playing electric guitar. But it's it's funny, because I, you know, you haven't asked this question, because right. you're evolved, but I've had a number of people say, so who played the guitar on this record? Because the guitar what? is really good. Oh, yeah, I still get wow. that. Wow. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, no. I did and then if I say I did, then the follow-up question invariably is, all of it? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you played all the guitars on this record? I'm like, yes. Huh. You know, But it's funny because, um, well, speaking of my drummer, when he first came to audition to play with me, he had not met me yet. He just heard a couple demos. And he said later he came in and, you know, set up, and he was surprised that we started to play because he was looking around like, well, the guitar player hasn't gotten here yet, you know, and then halfway through the song, I started playing the guitar solo, and he was like, oh, okay, you know. It's crazy, those uh, stereotypes. They're so ingrained in how some people can't let them go. A friend of mine was the sommelier at Per Se, which is this fantastic, you know, uh, restaurant in New York City, high-end. And uh, his name is Andre Mack, and he's a black gentleman. And he said, the, you know, the guys would all sit down in their suits and go, could we speak to the sommelier? And huh. he would say, sure. And he would start talking about listening. No, can we speak to the sommelier? And he would go, okay. And oh, he would wow. walk around the table huh. and come back and go, what would you like? Wow. So it was like an assumption. But yeah. like the assumption, the same kind of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, that's interesting. Uh, what is this wine that you poured for oh, us? Awesome. So this is a, a Mortson Cab from Sonoma County. Wines from Sonoma tend to be a little different mm. than Napa. That's a little bit cooler. I find them to have a little bit more kind of uh, savory notes, herbaceous notes, even though they're reds. Mm-hmm. And I know, here's the here's the fun part, I know that you're a huge dark chocolate fan. True. And so dark chocolate and Cabernet are a fantastic mix. Oh, good to know. So take a piece of your dark chocolate. I'm going to take and you, All right. you, you let me know whether I'm right. Okay. Um. Oh, wow. Is that working? That's delicious. <laughs> mm-hmm. Something a lot of people don't think about, but mm. Cab goes really well. With the chocolate. With, cho- with chocolate. Oh, Dark I love chocolate. it. Okay, good to know. Now I have two, now I have two vices. Mm-hmm. And now, 
Mm, the other thing about good. dark chocolate, do you know about oxytocin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So dark chocolate releases oxytocin, which is the pleasure hormone you mm-hmm. get during orgasm and dinner and bonding. It's like bonding, a bonding hormone. Um, yeah. Breastfeeding with mother child. Mm-hmm. Dark chocolate lights up the same part of the brain. So yeah. when you said you're addicted to dark chocolate, <laughs> there's a reason. <laughs> yeah, and it also has D-L-phenylalanine in it, mm-hmm. ah. which is um, an amino acid that's considered like sort of the love amino acid. It's really good actually for PMS. Wow. Um, if women are having, that's why women crave dark chocolate when they're having PMS, because your levels of D-L-phenylalanine can fall right. in your brain, and and then you have a little dark chocolate like picks it back up. I'm, I don't <laughs> like milk chocolate at all. Dark chocolate is my jam, too. Yeah. I'm like, it just feels healthy. It's great for your heart. It's great for everything. Yeah. Having um, it with wine is really neat. I've never uh, done that before. I, I, I thought that'd be, uh, be kind of cool to just kind of throw it in yeah, uh, it's good. As, a, as a sidebar. Um, so tell me how yoga informs. Uh, I, there's some obvious stuff, breathing for singing and stuff. But you, you're yeah. a yogi as well. Yeah. You know, I started practicing yoga... Um, Initially, for reasons I guess a lot of people do, to relieve tension. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a small person and, you know, slinging around like a 12 pound piece of wood guitar right. around my right. neck, I was getting a lot of tension in like my neck and shoulders. And it really worked for that. But as I began to delve deeper into it, it really is a practice for connecting with your inner soul, connecting with your inner divinity, connecting with who you really are, which is exactly the same journey that a musician is on sure so it made a lot of sense to me to continue and not only keep myself physically healthy and strong and able to run around on a stage with a guitar and not get injured but um to pursue this this journey of connection and that's why when i wrote my book i was so excited to read about these same these ideas coming from Yoruban culture, mm-hmm. West African culture right. of that art should be informed by a connection to soul, you know? And that's really mm-hmm. I had learned that from the blues. Right. So that when I started playing guitar, my goal wasn't to be the most technically proficient fastest guitarist in the West, right. but to be able to wring emotion out of the guitar. Right. And that really is a West African artistic value you know yeah no i mean the the note should resonate yeah and they do they they move i've i'm uh, you know i've like to me music is prayer it's Mm. healing um if i have a really bad cold i hum and sing a lot i think the Mm. vibrations kind of help break things up um and if i feel i'm always weirded out by people who don't like music Mm. or don't have music in their house Mm. um it just, I'm like, I don't know what you're missing, but it's almost like it's oxygen, you know. Uh, it's such a powerful force, and if you don't have it, then you need to have it in your life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's so healing. I mean, I grew up with my dad playing piano, and he's always played jazz, and um, and my parents always spinning records. and Right. Yeah. Same in our house. The music is always on. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, I want to say, if you want to play us out, you can play us out. Okay. And I want to thank you so much. And please, everyone, uh, please, please pick up Deborah's uh, LP. It is unbelievable. Uh, you'll be happy. And her, uh, the book, The Language of the Blues, um, if you consider yourself a lover of music, it's a must-have on your shelf. But please listen. Yeah, everything's on Amazon. Music's mm-hmm. all on Spotify. Oh, cool. Thanks again. 
Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to check us out at drinkingonthejob.wine. Until then, I'll see you at the bar. Thank you.